I was born with two left hands when it comes to carpentry skills or mechanical skills. Uh, my wife just said amen to that if you didn't hear that. Uh, that's the love and respect that she gives me. No, that's the reality that she was uh, married into, though there was a time that I was trying to prove my masculinity, the macho Mike maybe trying to come through whenever I was um, trying to uh, show her what I could do. Instead, now she, instead of asking me, Mike, can you fix this? She says, Mike, who can you call to fix this? That's the standard question. So as, as you think about that, I, I think about the time that I tried to pr- prove my masculinity or my macho-ness or my carpentry skills when I went to Walmart and I brought a pre- pre-packaged, pre-cut, particle board bookshelf, all straight lines, okay, it's pretty simple to put a bookshelf together, right? And so I was going to bring it, brought it into our living room, opened it all up, put the instructions over the side. Who needs instructions after all? I mean, this is a a simple bookshelf. It should be easily, you go from top to bottom or bottom to top, you put it together and it stands up, you put books on it. She is going to think I need an HGTV show after she sees me put this thing together. All along, as I'm putting this thing together, I'm thinking I'm doing pretty good along the way. After all, my intentions were good. I, I, I was wanting to clean the house up. I was wanting to put the books on the shelf. So my intentions were well. It should be pretty simple, right? It's just, I got a picture on the outside of the box. It's all pre-cut for me. It should be pretty simple to put together until I got to the very last piece And then I realized the last piece was the first piece to put together. And then I had to take everything apart and start all over again. But again, obviously putting the first piece in there. I think about our marriages. I think about our relationships sometimes. We look at our relationship. We think, this is easy. I've got this. I've seen it, the box cut. I've seen the pictures of people out there. I have good intentions. We love each other. We've got this figured out. It's, it, it's not rocket sciences. We can do this. And so you jump into a marriage. You jump into a relationship. Like, it's going to be easy. I've got it figured out until you get to that day when you wake up, whether it's five months or five years or 10 months or 10 years, or I've even seen them 20 years, they wake up and it's like they're done. One begins to walk out or maybe both begin to go in the other direction. And all along they realize, maybe one last time we'll go see the pastor. Maybe one last time we'll go to church. Maybe one last attempt to fix what we have. It's like this. They got the last piece. They got the first piece last. And what we need to make sure is we get the first piece first and then let all the other pieces come into play. And God is not the fix-all, the 911 call, the the one who's going to wave his magic wand over a broken uh, trust relationship, over a broken relationship. It's just not going to happen like that. He can do that. But if we do not realize that we've got to start with the first piece first, and let that be the guiding, the bedrock, the, the thing that we build relationships off of, we will mess. We will mess up and we will regret it one day. So a couple of truths as we go into our message today. I want to give you two timeless truths from the beginning and the ending of Scripture, from the beginning of ending of time, that these truths are real. They are anchors to, to life and everything. And this is anchor number one. Marriage is God's gift to humanity. Now, let me just say to those single in the room today, I realize that as I say that, you might even have felt your air leave you. 
Listen, I want to say this just because that is a gift of God. It doesn't mean it's for everyone. Okay, I'm not giving it up on hopelessness. I mean, Jesus even said that singleness in Matthew 19 is a gift. Jesus himself was single. Paul himself was single and said you ought to remain single in 1 Corinthians 7 until you can't be single any longer. Okay, and that's kind of kind of kind of what you need to think about it like this until I realized I was not cut out for this. And I realized this, that there are some people that are cut out for singleness. Okay, not so much talking to you right now in this particular point. I want to talk to those who say, that's not me. I'm single right now, but I'm ready to mingle. And I am, I'm ready to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright out there. I'm ready to get connected. But I'm also talking to the person who's ready to cash in the chips. Who's ready to say, listen, I'm done. I've started with the wrong piece of the bookshelf and I am done. I don't want to take time or energy to di- disassemble it and reassemble it back together. And we got to realize a couple of things as we understand God's gift to humanity was marriage. It wasn't man's gift to man or humanity's gift to humanity is that God makes marriage. Okay. He made it. He designed it. He has a blueprint for it. In Matthew 19, 4,000 years, if you go young earth, 4,000 years after after the very first marriage in Genesis chapter uh, chapter 2, you have Jesus affirming, 4,000 years later, affirming this is what a marriage is supposed to be. That's important. 4,000 years later, it wasn't as if Jesus said, hey, I got a better plan. Hey, there's a better plan out there. Let's, let's, let's redesign marriage. He says this in Matthew chapter 19. He says, have you not read? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, two different genders, two distinct genders that come together. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and behold uh, and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. We're going to come back to that passage, but we're going to go to the origination of that. But what I want you to just see is that Jesus is affirming that marriage is from God. It was his design. It was his initiation. But. God makes not only marriage, but God makes marriage couples, okay? He's the one. He's Match.com. He's eHarmony. You really want to lean, lean in and listen and figure out who that right, Mr. Right, Mrs. Right is. We need to understand what is God's plan for me. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, you find in verse 22 where God brought Eve to Adam. He was the initial matchmaker. And so just think about it like this. Is God a part of the conversation as I'm dating? Is God a part of the interview process? Is God a part of the standards of my dating? Is God, did God bring us together or did I bring us together? Or did somebody else bring us together? If you don't feel or sense the fingerprint of God, then let us re-examine that right here and right now. So God makes marriage. God makes marriage couples. God makes marriage couples to last. He makes them to last. In Mark chapter 10, verse 9, he says, What God has joined together, let no one tear apart. And again, there's probably a gasp. There's probably a heaviness that came over a a number of people in this room. And I want to affirm you that you, uh, you can't fix what has been broken in the past, but you can repair and set on target the way you're going to go into the future. 
I want you to focus on the future where you are right here and now. Understanding that if God brought us together, I have no right, she has no right, he has no right to tear it apart. Okay? We need to understand, as Eugene Peterson so poetically puts, paraphrases this very verse, he says, because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art. By cutting them apart. I love the poetry that your marriage, your relationship is a piece of art that God is crafting and making. Telling a story through your marriage. Truth number one is that marriage is God's gift to humanity. Anytime we take it away from that, then we're going to do it our own way, design it our own way, and live with the consequences of it. All right? So then it leads me to number two is God has a blueprint for your marriage. Do you want it now or do you want it later? Because many people get it later after they put the bookshelf together. And they got the first piece last. I encourage you right now, especially why, again, single, if you're at home watching this or you're in this room and you're single, this is why this marriage, this message is so important for you. Even though you may not be married now, it's time now to set things right now and do it right now. Get the blueprint now. Set our, set our course now. And again, I want to say to those in this room, this is man, already I'm off course. Already I, 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 I've not done it. Start where you are. Start where you are. I mean, you hear me say it again and again and again. But realizing this, that God has a plan. In Psalm 33, verse 11, it says, The plans of the Lord stand firm. All right? If he has a plan, it's not going to waver. It's not going to go out of date. It's not going to get irrelevant. We need to go back and realize 4,000 years after, G- after the very first marriage, God is still, Jesus is still affirming the very first marriage. And the design and the plan of that marriage. So what do you think? 2,000 years later, it's changed? Since Jesus? No, it's not changed. It's still right on course. Forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. When you look at the, when you look at the book of Genesis where we're at right now, we're studying through what's the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. The very first book of the five books of the Old Testament. You got Genesis, you got Exodus, you got Leviticus, you got Numbers, you got Deuteronomy. Every one of those has kind of its own play, its own, Moses wrote them all during a time that they were on the journey out of Egypt into the wilderness. At some point in there, he's writing them all. Genesis is really his historical narrative. Okay, Exodus, I finished Genesis and immediately started reading Exodus. You should do that. You should do that. Because you will get the spiritual journal of Moses in the Exodus. You get his history, you get the history of the world, the history of mankind, the grand story of God in Genesis, but then you get the personal encounters that Moses has in the Exodus. Numbers, I have to say, is an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, Leviticus is like a, a doxology. It's like a, it's like a worship book, okay? Uh, you come to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy are the precepts, the principles, the directions of God, where he gives it to us very clear, very plain, very straight. In fact, here's the thing about his principles, about his ways. You can do them or not. You can take his blueprint or not. You can do it your own way or not. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11 and 20 says this. I'm going to read several verses, not all of them. You read them all for yourself. They're, 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 they're packed. They're densely packed. It says, for this commandment, the commandments, of the, the, the principles, the precepts of God's word, that I command you today, 
is not hard for you, neither is it far off. So listen, God is going to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. You can do this. Here's a blueprint. You can do this. You can build your marriage off this. It's not impossible. It's not far and out of reach. It's not in the heavens. He goes on to say, it's not in the depths of the ocean. It's within reach. Verse 14. But the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. This book was not meant to be studied, not meant to be just read, not meant to be memorized, even though all that's powerful. It's meant to be lived. It's meant to be lived. It must transform our life. Give us a roadmap for life so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today. Here's what he set before us today. I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. That doesn't sound like fun, but he gives us the options. He gives us the choice. And then he goes in the last verse, verse 19. He says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, you choose life. Do you want God's blueprint or not? He's not going to force it on you. You can do relationship your own way. You can choose any of the 11 different relationship styles that psychology today has identified out there. Polyamorous, polyfidelity, open, swinger, You can choose any kind of number of relationships that you want out there, same sex or heterosexual. In fact, that 11 becomes 22 real quickly when you start mixing the genders in there. So let's just say like this. If there's 22 different blueprints out there, which blueprint are you going to build off of? You get to choose. But as Moses said, you choose. I've given you blessing. I've given you life. Which will you choose? I want to challenge you, wherever you are today, you choose that blueprint, you build your relationship off of that, you get to choose. I don't have time to talk about 22 different, compare and contrast the different kinds of relationships that are out there in this world today, okay? So just hear that. What I'm not going to focus on are the 22 different kinds of relationships out there. I want to focus on the one. I want to focus on God's blueprint. And let's let that be inform us and shape us that we might make the right choices. So again, some of you are going to go, I'm immediately behind the eight bar. I'm immediately in the hole. Start where you are. Start where you are. If you've not been doing the right thing, start today doing the right thing. If you've not been dating the right people, start today. That may be ending a relationship. Start today by dating the right, do the right thing today, moving forward. And let's see God bless and work in your life. So let's look at uh, Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter two. Again, all I'm going to focus on. So if you hear any other model out there, I'm going to zero in on God's blueprint for our marriage. Genesis chapter two, beginning in verse 18. And then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of of the field and every bird of the, of the heavens and brought them to the man to see that it was, he would call them and whatever man called them, every living creature, uh, that was its name. Can you imagine him going through, okay, hippopotamus. Let's just throw that on out there. Um, dung beetle. I mean, whatever. You know, all these, uh, all these different, uh, these names that he comes up with. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds and the heavens and every beast of the field. But Adam 
But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on, uh, on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed it up, its place with flesh. And the rib uh, that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, whoa, literally this at last. I read this last night in the Hebrew means wow. He says, finally, I get somebody, okay? Is this at last, his bone of my bone. He turns into a poet here all of a sudden. He sees his first woman. He starts writing poetry. That's what happens to the men. They get love, they get love drunk there. This is my last bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So she shall be called woman, uh, because, uh, she is taken out of a man. Therefore, a man. Here, here, here's the blueprint. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. What do we see? There are three measures of God's blueprint. One, there's a compatible. Compatibility is a very important measurement. There's compatibility is a word that I struggled with all week long trying to get the right word because there didn't seem to be a right word, one single right word to, to fit because it seems like every word was, was, was completely complementary and the other ones were completely contrasting. But in the reality, it, when, I, when I understood and I studied the etymology of the word compatible, it's a 15th century uh, Latin word meaning there is resolution to differences. I thought, that's it. That's the word. We are compatible. There's a resolution that happens between the two. When you think about a man and a woman and how God designed it that way, there, we are different, but we're compatible. Physically, that is that way, okay? It doesn't take but one lesson in the birds and the bees and see that physiologically we are different and we fit together, okay? Just leave it at that. Whenever you go into the reproductive system and you go, okay, there's no other way to create life than to take a part of a man and part of a woman and put them together. You put any other combination together, it will not create life. I don't care what laboratory you're in. Lori told you about our grandbabies that are going to be born, Lord willing, this week. Well, guess what? And Lori, uh, Jordan has said I could share this. Tyrion said I could share that. Their, their, their pregnancy started in a laboratory over in Tulsa. Well, it didn't actually start there, but it ended up there before it ended up in her body. But it didn't matter what laboratory, what lab coat, what person on the other side was putting the babies together to make babies to put them inside of, uh, of Jordan. Here's the reality is it all took, it still took a man, part of a man and took part of a woman. It is an unsustainable model, any other model. We are physiologically uh, different, but we are compatible. We are different, but compatible emotionally. We just see life differently. We process life differently. And that's a good thing. Counterbalance one another emotionally. Again, go back to verse 18. He said, and the Lord said, it is not good. Remember every day that he made something, it was good. Last week we talked about that, but there was one evaluation, maybe midday. I don't know on Friday. He looked out there and he said, no, that's not good. Then he made woman, and then what did he say? It was very good. It's a beautiful thing when he brings them out and he makes them. But he realized this, that it's not good. 
It wasn't good for the man to be without the woman. I will make a helper. Now, some people have taken that word helper, and they have made it to what it is not. They may, oh, I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, a helper to my husband. I'm just a second-class person. And again, I realize that in our cultures, we've even made that. We've kind of made the, the woman the second class. Don't even begin to see it that way. In fact, when you read the scriptures, you, you cannot see it that way. We just read verse 20 uh, and following whenever he said, I will make him a helper. He said it twice, two different times in verse 20 and also in verse 18, I will make him a helper. That's a very important word. And notice where he made a helper from. He laid Adam down. He put him to sleep. He took from his rib. It doesn't necessarily say rib. It says side, but we've inserted rib in there. Taken from his side and made a woman. Matthew Henry said it so well. He said, the man was from the dust refined, but the woman was dust double refined. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, but not made out of the head to rule over him, nor out of the feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, near his heart to be beloved. When you understand helper and you understand that actually when Jesus was going away in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, what did he say he was going to do? He was going to send a helper. God sent a helper in the form of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. So whenever God says, I'm going to send a helper, it's not a second class, your secondary demand. It is very much of an equal. They are equal in value, equal in, in, in contributions to one another. There is a compatibility there. In fact, that word helper, Ezer, it actually means, uh, means that, and it's used different times in scripture. Most of the time, it's used of a, of a strategic warfare. That, that there is strategy behind putting these two together. Ezra, the name Ezra, the, the high priest Ezra, his name means uh, the Lord is, has helped. The Lord has helped. Azrael uh, means God has helped. So literally people would make their names out of this word helper. Whenever David was praying and he was realizing in Psalm 79 verse 9, he said, help us, Ezra. He uses the word Ezra. Help us, O God, our salvation for the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins. Literally, he brings the word helper in as a part of our salvation. So really what I want you to see when you look at the man, incomplete, he needs not another man, but he needs a woman. Compatible, equal, but different. To bring life to life, to bring future to future, to bring reality, to bring, uh, to bring the proper order of the way God made us in the very beginning, and he brings us together and makes us whole. It's almost as if it's a story of God's salvation, that we become whole whenever we're together. Just like we are considered the bridegroom of Christ, and Christ is the groom, we are made whole when God redeems us and we are brought together, compatible. Number two, unified. I want you to notice this. One feeds into the next. Once the compatibility is there, I realize that this is the way God made it. God's bringing us together. God's ordering our worlds and he brought 
Eve to Adam. They brings them and he's making them one. He's making their differences and their, and, and their compliments. He's bringing them together, resolving the differences. But here's the problem. So many people have lost the definition of marriage. Here's my definition. You can jot it down. Marriage is a God-ordained, God-arranged covenant relationship between God and woman, between man, between God, man, and woman. So many people have made the relationship a marriage between a man and a woman. Between a man and a woman, that I'm going to marry you and you're going to marry me and you're going to make me happy and I'm going to make you happy and it's kind of a contractual relationship. And as long as you're making me happy, I'm going to be happy. And as long as you're taking care of me, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of you. But if you ever stop taking care of me, if you ever, it, it's about, it becomes a very I-centered relationship. A contract is looking out for your interest. Okay? You give somebody a contract, it's written to your advantage. So many people live in a relationship that's contractual. Never how God intended it to be. He intended it to be a relationship between God, man, and a woman. A covenantal relationship. Where a contract looks out for self first. Then I'll look out for you. A covenant looks out for you and then I'll look out for me. It starts with you. How can I help you? Think about Jesus when he created a new covenant with us. Did he come to earth and say, hey, when y'all get your act together, when you get your act together, I'm going to save you. No, he came, created a new covenant with us by going and dying on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He put in place, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he put in place God's redemptive plan before we were right with God. He loves us. He's coming to us. A covenant relationship doesn't begin with me. It begins with the other person. And how can I be in a right relationship with them? Only how, because I'm in a right relationship with God. And we do it God's blueprint. If we get off that, we're going to mess it all up. Three sequential steps to to this becoming a reality. Okay? One is there's a separation from parents. Look at verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a separation that needs to happen between parents. They leave. Parents, you get a raise every time one leaves the home. Have you realized that? It's beautiful. You don't even have to do anything better on the job. You just get a raise. It's, it's an incredible thing. So that's a, that's a part of that. But that's not just that. It's also letting them go emotionally. I've seen helicopter parents or bulldozer parents who won't let their children go. They've got to continue to be in their business. You got to let them go. They're leaving. And I realize that's a time and it's a process and there's trust. And it's things that have to happen over time. I've loved being a parent. I've loved every stage of being a parent. I've loved every stage of being a parent, even as I'm seeing them walk out the door. I love that because I'm seeing them walk out well, okay? But here's what I am now. I'm, I'm no longer parent per se. I'm more of an advisor or friend. And I'm only an advisor if they ask for advice. Leave. Leave. That's what they do. They leave. The first thing they do, and then they can bond. If they don't ever leave, if the kid never leaves, if the daughter never leaves, if emotionally or physically never leaves, they'll never bond. Bonding to your spouse. Cleaving to your spouse. Becoming, 
becoming together with your spouse. It is the strongest word in the Hebrew language for gluing things together. You think about nailing something, two, two by fours together, nailing them together. That's one way you can put them together. Screw them together. It's going to probably last a little bit longer. You can put some Elmer's wood glue in there. But if you put some F26 in there, you're not going to separate. In fact, the boards will tell apart, will, will, will pull apart before the F26 will give way. Think about it like that. Whenever God brings us together, we become inseparable. It, it should hurt when a divorce comes. If you can walk away and it not hurt, there's a problem. Cleaving, becoming one. Number three is to pursue and progress in oneness. And I put the word progress in there because you're never through becoming one. Notice what he said. He said, therefore, this is the order. This is the order. Okay, don't ever get these out of order. You're off the blueprint. So you don't become one flesh. And then I think I'm going to marry the person. And then I think I'm going to leave mom and dad. No, no. You leave. You cleave. And then you become one flesh. And the whole idea here of becoming one is more than sexual. It is becoming one in heart and soul and body in every way. And it is something that you never stop pursuing the other person. Here's a life principle for you. If you ever stop pursuing, you will immediately stop progressing toward oneness. We must pursue oneness. A journey to oneness takes a lifetime. But that's what keeps marriage fresh. Can I say it to you again? The pursuit, the journey towards oneness takes a lifetime, but that's also what keeps marriage fresh. It's the marriage that, that stops pursuing one another and they just start assuming on one another. Pursuing, assuming. If you stop pursuing each other and you just start assuming, you're going to go dead in the water. It's going to get boring and you're going to what? Start looking elsewhere. Looking for a new beginning. I've fallen out of love. You pursue one another. I'm so grateful to be able to, 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 to run into Tom and Mary uh, Ellis today. Yesterday, they celebrated 50 years together in marriage. Give them a round of applause. Back there in the back, raise your hand. Tom, Mary, raise your hand up. Real proud, that's 50 years there. You know how long it takes to get to 50 years? 50 years. There's no shortcuts. You have to keep pursuing one another. Which then, I want to tell you, John Eldridge said, I quote this. He says, marriage, marriage has failed because the man insists on treating her as a problem to be solved rather than a mystery to be known and loved. Again, the pursuing, the becoming one is a lifetime journey, but it keeps the marriage fresh, which then leads me to intimacy. Number three. So it starts with Compatibility? Are we spiritually compatible? Are we emotionally compatible? Is this, is this something that God's bringing together? Or are we bringing it together? Are we manipulating it here? Are we just caught up in our emotions? You gotta really separate yourself, have some objectivity in that. Are we compatible? Okay. And then you move on to that united. Are we gonna be united? Are we gonna leave mom and dad? Are we gonna, all right, we're gonna be, we're gonna be here together. We're cleaving together. This is a life deal, not a, not a seasonal deal. Okay. Not a 
starter marriage, and then are we going to become one? We're going to continue to pursue you. You're going to continue to pursue me. You're going to get to know me as I change, and I'm going to get to know you as you change. But then, and only then, will you have the next word, intimacy. Now, intimacy, people get confused with, is that hot, passionate, fiery kind of thing, feeling you have in the beginning. That's just euphoria. And uh, most psychologists will tell you that will last between everywhere from 12 months to 24 months, 24 months max. And then all of a sudden reality sets in. Intimacy in marriage is dynamic. It's fragile. It, you never arrive at intimacy. You're constantly arriving. You never get there. You have to constantly be getting there. Okay, and, and the thing is, is that intimacy is slippery. It's, it's fragile. It will slip through your fingers and all of a sudden you'll wake up and say, man, I thought I loved you. Man, I, th- I remember those days of, of passionate love for one another, but man, it's all gone. Where did we lose it? Intimacy slides out. Intimacy is being fully known and fully loved. Fully known. You see all the warts, all the mess ups, everything in my life, all the imperfections. I'm fully known, but yet I never, ever, 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 doubt that you love me. There's never a second guessing in there. I'm fully known and I'm fully loved. Look at verse 25. It has more to do, it's less than just about sexuality and more about intimacy. Verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was nothing about their life that was hidden. No hidden passwords, bank accounts, no secrets to hold back. Everything was out, everything was known, and they're still fully loved, fully embraced. This word naked is used also, it's used only a few times in Genesis chapter 42, verse 9, when Joseph is on the rule in, in, in Pharaoh's uh, court and his brothers come up and he treats them as spies spying out the land. And he literally says, our country is naked and you're spying us out. Basically, we're vulnerable and you're checking us out for our weaknesses. Well, what, what is it? Transparency makes you vulnerable. But it also builds intimacy. When I am transparent, this is where I am. This is where I'm struggling. This is who I am. This is where, and, and it makes you vulnerable. It shows your weaknesses. It shows your backside. It shows where they could get you. But it also creates intimacy. A space for intimacy to happen. Transparency makes you vulnerable, but it also Builds intimacy. God's owner's manual will actually take a shift next week. I gotta just forewarn you. Because chapter three will totally change things, and I'll have more on that next week. But for your own record, you read verse 25 of chapter two, seven verses later in chapter three. The nakedness is covered up, the intimacy is lost. The vulnerability is broken. Trust has been broken. And now they begin to hide. Do you want the owner's manual now or later? 
because you will want it eventually. If you're going to do a relationship, okay, go do it. Choose the 22 options out there if you want to Baskin Robbins it. Or you can go with the one that is tried and true and proven and beautiful and incredible the way God intended it to be. Would you bow your heads with me? Wherever you are, if you're watching online right now, just get really still. If you're alone, then be thinking about who you are inside. If you're with your family, then then right now, even consider where you are as a couple, if you're couples. Again, there's so many expressions in this room right now. Don't beat yourself up of what yesterday was. Start where you are today. Say today. My big, big God is a good, good God who has a great plan, who wants to give me life, and I want to follow his plan. If you don't know Jesus today, give your life to following Jesus. Let him master plan your relationship. Let him master plan your life. Father God, we hold delicately and fragilely the relationship that you give us. My marriage of 30 years can be, can be blown up in a matter of 30 minutes. Can be lost. It's fragile. Intimacy is fragile. It's fleeting. If I do not continually pursue glory, we do not continue to strengthen the bonds of marriage so that we are cleaving ever, 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 ever tighter to one another. Drawing from the wisdom of our parents. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. Lord, you make us compatible in the midst of all of our differences. You make us whole. You make us holy. Your marriage is a picture of the gospel of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.